Shortly after my grandfather Locadio's first stroke many years ago, I decided to interview him. I wasn't sure if he would be open to the idea being that, like many Mexican men, he was very quiet, solitary, and very serious in nature. But I did ask, and to my surprise, he was extremely open and welcoming to it. So that fateful day that I had the privilege and honor to interview my grandfather, Locadio, uh, he told me many stories. I don't think I have the time to tell them all in this episode, but I will be the narrator for his stories being that he passed away uh, back in 2010. And he started sharing with me that his father married his mother's sister, which kind of threw me back. And again, I'll repeat, his father had an affair and the affair was strong enough that it affected his mother and and she passed away. And um, he was left, he and his brother Chicho were left to um, be with his father and his, I guess now stepmother, which was his aunt, um, who was not very kind or very providing for them. He said it was a very, very hard loss. In fact, when he spoke about the loss of his mother, this is a man, I would say back then, he was in his late 60s, early 70s maybe, when he was telling me the story, and tears were still dropping from his eyes down his face, as he spoke of his mother, it almost seemed like he could detail so much of her, and yet he was so little. He did state that it was a very hard situation um, living like that, so he and his brother left and took off and didn't want to deal with that. So they were orphaned in in that manner, and um, because of that experience, it certainly shaped Um, a lot of his personality, and um, he was a tough guy. The other story he shared with me was part of the ambition that he had to drive his way here. And when I say drive, is not through a car, it's through um, his heart and soul to a better life. Because um, when he explained the level of poverty that he experienced growing up in the ranch there was nothing like it I mean he cried again when he explained to me that there was nothing like the sense of desolation the sense of hopelessness was so great and uh, there was just the hills and there there was trees and wood and so through that resource he would borrow tools from one of the men in the town that had some and would lend it to him and he would use those tools to go into the wilderness and chop wood make doors things that he could be resourceful with and then you know make some money with so very, very, very poor, um, struggling to make his way through. And 
back then, the ability to move up in the socioeconomic ladder was very hard, not impossible, but very difficult, especially when um, you come facing all of these financial challenges. It's hard to pull yourself up by the bootstraps when there's no freaking boots around. So having said that, he, he explained how how this was a great motivator for him to just get out of that situation. Um, the Bracero program came in later, and that obviously provided him the opportunity to get out of that uh, poverty and also slowly start the process of trying to move his family here to the States. Um, although he came legally through the Bracero program initially, once it ended, he had to go back home and then come back illegally to try and um, get work from the same uh, links and contracts and people that he had worked with from the past. So to provide you some context, I'll start with giving you just less than a minute of a history lesson because you may not have heard of it. But from 1942, the United States was involved in one of the greatest and largest experiments of um, labor uh, contracts with a foreign country. And these were guest worker programs. Um, This was during World War II when they needed more hands in the fields because more men were leaving for war. And given this need, uh, more than 4.2 million Mexican workers ended up coming out as guest workers to the United States. Because of that event, today we still feel the effects, the links, and the families that have continued to live and bring more family in because of that path. But before I go too far, I certainly don't want you to think that the Bracero program was the reason why we have so many Mexican-Americans out here. Um, In case you forgot, this used to be Mexico. And so families in Zacatecas had links to families out here in California because it was Mexico. In fact, it is rumored that my grandmother, Flumencia, from my mother's side was born in Burbank because her father uh, lived up here in the north and her mother in the south uh, because they had a Catholic divorce um, back in the day. And for you Catholics, you might understand what I'm talking about. Viewing him uh, when I was much younger and I actually went up to him and asked if he would be willing and open to have me interview him. I wanted to learn his story, and um, and he didn't hesitate. He said yes. We went over to his room, and we sat down. I turned on my tape recorder, and I started asking questions. And he candidly, open-heartedly, answered. He cried. I cried. It was one of the most 
unforgettable experiences of my life. And I hope to share some of those stories with you um, throughout the series. Um, One of which he shared was um, that his mother died when he was very little and um, his father married his mother's sister. Let me repeat that again. His father married his mother's sister, partly because he was having an affair with her and partly because that was kind of the death of his mother. Um, I don't know if you knew that, but now you do. Uh, story will go with that as well. Um, the second story that I thought was quite interesting is on the other side, my mother's side. My grandmother, Flumencia, was robbed, abducted by uh, my grandfather. And that's how romance was expressed back in the day. Um, I shouldn't kid about that. But seriously, um, they they started a family. Um, I'll go more into details. It wasn't uncommon um, and still in countries today that still happens. A man loves a woman or finds her attractive and... Um, It's not so caveman where they knock her on the head and, you know, take her and and now they're partners. But um, it was done by horse. They, you know, took her and and she had to marry this man. And and here I am because of it. So um, that's another story. And then another story that I think you'll find interesting is my mom and dad's story. And yes, I am biased because it is their story. But I know it the best because... I grew up with them, so I thought, you know, I'd start there. Um, If you don't believe in soulmates, which I don't, and I still wouldn't had it not been for these two people that I grew up with, um, Herminio and Teresa are definitely soulmates. It's really crazy to be the child of one because you grow up with this false sense of romance thinking that this is so easy, normal, and it happens every day, which it does not. I think it's a phenomenon just like unicorns and mermaids in case they're real. I don't think they are, but this one's real. So let us begin. Both of my grandfathers were part of this program and it changed both of their lives, one directly, one indirectly. My grandfather from my mother's side, Salome, he already had land and he had um, workers and resources and assets in Mexico and he and his family weren't rich, but they were just fine. So after the Bracero program, he decided he did not want his kids to be influenced by the American culture and did not choose to stay out here, but rather keep his family and resources out there. They had much more incentive. And so we come to my grandfather, Locadio, from my father's side, and he definitely had incentive to continue working and making roots out here in the United States for the sake of improving his economic situation and the opportunity and future for his children. So 
So when I interviewed my grandfather, Locadio, one of the stories I want to share today um, is speaking on being of service because that's one of the great things that my grandparents, all of them, always did. But one that really I remember was when I interviewed my grandfather a long time ago. Um, I don't know why, of all the stories he could have told me, he shared this one with me and it mattered and it touched me because we do this every day as kids that are bilingual and are from an early age trained to be the attorney, the uh, secretary, the administrator, um, the um, translator has many, many levels when your parents are immigrants, don't understand the language well, and you have to be their voice. And what would infuriate me as a child, uh, one, was because I was too young to be able to translate properly, even though, you know, I was trying to understand as best I could or read and then um, translate readings when, you know, you're six years old trying to learn how to read yourself. So all those things were challenges and, and kind of force you to grow up a little faster and develop yourself a little faster because there's people out there depending on you, man. Anyway, I digress. This story is of service and my grandfather shared it to me because let me uh, take a step back and um, provide you some context and history. In um, There was a time when Mexico and the United States worked very well where they had contracted workers come out to the fields. This was the Bracero program. The Bracero program was intended to have um, more hands in the agricultural uh, fields out here in California, especially while the United States was at war. They had a lot of their men leave and the women had to um, you know, fill in in factories and stuff, but they needed farming hands. So um, they went out to Zacatecas, contracted workers, and this changed the fate for so many families, not just here in California, in Mexico, and is still having an effect because of it. And so I wanted to share a little part of his journey because once that program was over, he had to come home. He'd, he'd only spend about two months out of the year with his family, and then he'd come back to the United States to work the rest of the year. And so this is not uncommon. Uh, once the program ended though, he had to go home, and he realized he had to go back to the States. There was just, he had to find a way to continue to make money and pull his family out of poverty, which in the ranch, which I very briefly shared with you, was very, very low on resources. Even the Pueblo was low on resources. And that was like, you know, the metropolitan area out there. Um, so for, and I, I kid, it, it, it was a Pueblo, Pueblo's a village. Um, Guadalajara was the city, uh, which we'll talk about later. But anyway, my grandfather decided to come back to the United States and he had to do it illegally because the contracts were over and he just wanted to make a reconnect with his old employers so that he can continue working and hopefully get sponsored by him so that he can stay. And that was a very long process to get through regardless. Um, they didn't migrate out here until the whole family until I think it was 19 
69 or so, but I'll have to pinpoint that date. While he's making his way back to the United States, he has his ticket. I think he said it was Texas. I can't confirm for sure because I can't find the tape, but um, he was trying to get back and, and he was um, trying to board a train, but he had his his ticket and he wasn't sure of anything. So he said he sat on a bench on the side and contemplated um, who to ask, but no one seemed to be able to look like they spoke Spanish. So he saw a kid playing with a soccer ball close by. Um, there seemed to be a park, I think he mentioned, and he called the boy over and asked if he spoke um, Spanish. And the boy said he did, and he showed him his ticket, his um, train ticket. And the boy was able to translate and tell him, you know, what time and which number and all that. And so my grandfather, of all the stories he had time to share with me, he shared this one. And I could tell it meant a lot to him because, you know, the sense of not knowing where you're going, not understanding the language and feeling very alone um, is not uncommon with immigrants trying to make their way through this world here and that always drew me back to ah yes I'm so grateful that I am that kid now that I can pay it back because I don't know who that child was obviously but I'm so grateful he helped my grandfather make it out here and make it home for me those are angels that are spread about and not that I'm an angel, certainly not even close. Um, but I do speak two languages and it has given me so much pleasure and joy to be able to be other people's voices, to be able to fill out applications that they can't do on their own, that they can't speak on their own behalf to clear up bills that they've been, you know, mischarged or what little things like that may seem dumb and and nonsense but it it means a lot because I think there's a misconception when someone doesn't speak the language that there's a level of being dumb or or just you know it, it's it's disrespected um, where I would feel infuriated that my mom and dad they're so incredibly smart my mom is just just so sharp especially with math and numbers and things like she she I knew was doing math faster than the people that she's talking to and when I could sense that they were maybe treating her like she was a little dumb and because she couldn't speak the language um, that would drive me crazy because I knew she was frustrated that she couldn't speak that she couldn't say what she needed to in the manner that she does so eloquently in Spanish and I couldn't do it as eloquently in English as she, she could in Spanish so anyway that was one of the stories my grandfather had shared with me as he was making his way up to the United States and trying to establish his roots and get contracted again um, with his old employers which he did and um, I'll leave it at that for this
The gift of being bilingual is not just knowing two languages, but for me, Mexican-American bilingual is embracing two cultures. Um, it started off more Mexican in the beginning, and with time, it becomes more American, and it's blended. So the truth of the matter is that when you're your parents' translator, lawyer, administrator, um, all those things, um, you end up being that for other people as well. And that's an honor. And that has helped me at least not only do things with tremendous amount of love and compassion, but to connect with people. And the side effect, by the way, for me at least personally, of being my parents' translators and voices throughout their life is that even only monolingual people like my clients who speak English but don't understand the financial lingo of uh, that world, I'm a specialist in that and I simplify the complicated and I walk them through that and, and it translates is what I'm saying. So whatever your work is and you're bilingual, those things translate to people who don't speak the language, that love, compassion, and patience and being able to walk them through and provide that sense of protection to some degree that you're with them. They're not alone and you know, you're going to help them through the complicated and simplify it.